0: Not really. Okay. I don't have anything more to say about that, so I'm done, okay? Just be there. It's going to be a great time, ladies. You'll have a lot of fun. Christ and Culture series. We're doing a lecture this Wednesday, the 21st, and we're tackling the question, what is Reformed theology? I think uh, that that terminology gets a bad rap sometimes, so we're going to talk about the Reformation and what led to some theological truths that came out of that that we still um, have with us today. And So if you're interested at all... In this college-style lecture and having some Q&A afterwards, we'd love for you to be there um, talking about what is Reformed theology and why does it matter. So please come. This is open to anybody. Um, it doesn't have to be someone from the church. You can bring friends. It's going to be actually a really good time uh, for people to understand uh, where we're at in terms of this season of the, the life of the church since the Reformation and, and what that's all about. So please come to that. And uh, last but certainly not least is our chili cook-off. Uh, which is next week, and that's the 25th, right after service. Um, I've heard of some great chilies that are being produced. I think people are going really crazy with the chili thing. So just remember, simplicity okay, always wins. Okay, Just beans, meat, and you'll probably be... Bacon, okay, and you'll probably be fine, okay. if I'm the judge, that is. So please uh, make sure that you respond... Uh, RSVP for that as well, or look for the information on the city so we know... Uh, what to expect in terms of uh, food and whatnot. Okay, we're going to be in the Song of Solomon, chapter 5, today. Um, just uh, just uh, cruising through, and we're going to be talking about conflict in relationships, especially marriage, and how to deal with that. We're going to start that today and continue it over the next couple weeks. So um, let's pray together, and we will have uh, our time in the Song of Solomon today. Let's pray. Father, thank you <clears throat> for... Uh, this great book of the Bible that has a lot of wisdom in it regarding dating, singleness, and marriage. We them that you've given us in this book, and uh, we know that you will do that. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Song of Solomon, who's been enjoying this series? I've been enjoying studying for it, uh, certainly preaching it, and I've learned a lot. and been convicted of a lot of things that uh, that I continue to struggle with, uh, patterns of sin in my own heart, in my own life that I deal with, In my marriage, that um, by God's grace, I want to overcome and by his spirit have the wisdom and the strength to do that. Uh, But today we're going to talk about conflict in marriage. Um, uh, And I don't know anything about that because my marriage is perfect. But for those of you who have conflict in your marriage, um, that's my dry sense of humor coming out. Um, But I want to talk about conflict today because it's an important part of marriage. And I want to ask this question as we get started. Have you ever had a time in your marriage where you were at odds with each other, where there was a fight, where there was conflict? And the answer is yes, yes, that's happened. Chris um, and I, of course, have had our times of conflict. Uh, I remember actually coming home from our honeymoon, and it's that part where you get to live happily ever after. You know that part? And we had this cute little bungalow right over here by DU. Um, there was an apple tree in our backyard, and we've seen how the apple tree is a theme throughout the Song of Solomon, and my wife and I were going to live the, the existence of a happily ever after couple as we moved into our cozy little bungalow, um, and, and soon after we got back, uh, we actually started having some conflict, and to this day, I can't remember what it was about. Anybody have those times where it's like, man, that was really, really intense. There's a lot of emotion there, but you can't remember a thing, what it was about. It it could have been that the cozy little bungalow was a little too cozy, okay? Like you're used to living in separate, you know, you have your own room and your stuff, and you can throw your dirty clothes on the bed, and it's no big deal, right? Or you can leave the cap off of the toothpaste, Or, you know, guys, please put the lid down, of course, after you're done. Um, But all of that stuff can kind of rise to the occasion and cause some conflict in marriage. And maybe that's what it was. I still, to this day, but we had a fight. I remember the fight, but I don't remember what it was about. And immediately upon coming back from our honeymoon, there was a fox in our vineyard. There was something that was going to cause us conflict, and we needed to deal with that. The, the next two chapters in the Song of Solomons, uh, chapter 5 and chapter 6, are going to talk a little bit about conflict and how it is resolved in marriage, and we're going to spend just a brief time kind of introducing the topic today, and then we'll continue on with it uh, in the next couple of weeks. But some scholars, and these are the scholars I think that, that were on the money with this, they say that chapters 5 and 6 are about marital couples and their disagreements, their differences of opinion, their conflicts... Or as I said last week, what you can simply call sin, okay? There's sin in your marriage, and you are a person that brings that into the marriage. So we're going to look at that, and we're going to look at this beginning section of these two chapters today, and look at the reality of conflict in marriage, because it is real. It is real. Uh, I, I'm, I'm astonished, just culturally, how uh, reticent we are as people in our culture to to understand that conflict is real in relationship and that there there is a way that you can deal with it so that there is reconciliation and restoration. Most of our culture is simply passive aggressive. That's the way kind of the, the way that we've progressed in dealing with conflict. So something happens to us and we smile and say, Oh, it's not a problem. And on the inside, it's like, man, I really hate you. You know, I mean that's kind of the way that, that we approach conflict. And you walk away, and that person never calls you or talks to you again, and you wonder what happened because they said everything was okay. But in fact, they were just being passive, aggressive. Passive aggressiveness in a marriage uh, will destroy your marriage. So we're going to look today about how to deal with conflict, the reality of it, and and the wisdom, because this is a book of wisdom that uh, the Song of Solomon gives us on how to deal with conflict in our marriage. So here we go. Um, You remember the story of this couple. They have just gotten married. They've consummated their marriage. Of course, that was blissful and wonderful and everything is great. And now the reality of their relationship with one another and with another flawed human being is being unveiled to us. Now, how do I know that? I've uh, I've gotten a couple of questions on, How do you approach the Song of Solomon? Because it's written like a a poem uh, at times. It's written like the woman is in a dream at times thinking or dreaming these things that she's talking about. This is how I know that this particular chapter, uh, 5, verse 2 through 9, actually is what we're going to be looking at today. This is how I know that there is conflict in this marriage because she is sleeping, and it talks about that in verse 2. And the beloved, her husband, is knocking on the door. Okay? This means he is sleeping on the couch. Okay? And they probably only had one room maybe, so he's not even the couch. It says that there is dew and water coming down. He's getting rained on. Okay? He's not even getting the couch. He's in the doghouse, okay? literally. I don't know if they had dogs back then, but he is outside. She is inside, and she has fallen asleep. I don't know, guys, if you've experienced that scenario where you've had a fight, Your wife is upset with you, and it's couch time, okay? Um, Hopefully you have some some good television or something where the couch is so that you can, you know, deal with that situation. But we're going to talk about how to resolve that. And guys, again, I'm going to talk a lot to you today because the relationship, especially in marriage, from a Christian worldview and from a Christian standpoint, has a lot to do with men leading. Men leading. And and I'm just going to say that, Instead of apologizing for that, I'm going to double down today on that and say, men, you must lead in your marriage. So let's look at this chapter specifically, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 2. I'm going to read that first, and then we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this short section. Chapter 5, verse 2 of Song of Solomon. I slept, this is the woman talking, but my heart was awake. Critical phrase in, in this particular passage. I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound. My beloved is knocking, open to me, this is the man talking, open to me my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. He's outside, she is sleeping, now she is sleeping because they've had... An argument, she's gone to bed, she's trying to sleep it off, but we also know that her heart is awake. Now we're left to assume in this passage that since the wife is alone in the bed and the door is locked, that someone was naughty and had to sleep outside. That's the husband, okay? And she is sleeping, but her heart is awake. This is a reference to she, she is upset, but she wants to reconcile. Guys, I don't know if you understand this, but when guys get in a fight, there is absolute tension, and there is a division, and and it's like, it's go time. You are the mortal enemy. Remember that with your best friend when you were on the playground or whatever, and all of a sudden, you're playing basketball, everything's going well, and then, you know, he calls you a name, or you call him a name, and now you're mortal enemies, and then five minutes later, you're best friends again. Uh, There is a complexity to the the emotional makeup of the wife that we see in this passage. That she is still upset about this particular conflict that she's had with her husband, but she wants to reconcile. That is, her heart is awake. Deep inside, no matter what happened on the outside, inside of her, she wants to reconcile the relationship. Early on, there is this conflict that seems really dramatic, and emotions can get the best of us in these times, and emotional issues. Come and go all the time. But this is the question that you must ask. And men, you must lead in asking this question. I'm putting it on you because Scripture does, okay? This is the question. What is at the root of this problem? What is at the root of this conflict? What is the heart issue? Remember, Christianity, following Jesus, isn't a set of rules that you obey, okay? Now, when you become a follower of Christ and you're loved by Christ and you want to worship him, you're called to obedience. And there are things that you're called to, but it's not to earn more of God's love. It's because God has already loved you. So there is a a call to obedience, but the heart is the root of where the obedience comes from. And when there is conflict in a marriage, you have to ask this question, what is at the root of the problem? This, I would argue, is at the heart of being a follower of Jesus Christ. Like if you're experiencing a troublesome relationship with Christ and your followership of him, I would ask you to ask the question, what is at the root in my heart with this problem? Now, I don't discount emotions. I get accused of that. I've been called a robot before. I'm really not a robot. Um, If you cut me, I'll bleed, and it's not bionic juice. It's like real blood. Um, Emotional issues come and go all the time, and emotions are important barometers to let us know that something is wrong. Men and women, in your relationship, when there is an emotional issue coming up that's welling up from inside and you have conflict with each other and you're emotional about it, it's a barometer, an indicator that something might be wrong. But this is, again, the important question to ask. What is the sin beneath the sin? One of the, the most... Um, difficult times in our marriage was right after we had our first uh son and i've got to throw you know he was 11 and a half pounds at birth that was difficult but that's not the difficulty i'm going to talk about today um but but he was a big boy we brought him home he was chunky and you know big cheeks we just loved to be around him and he's roly-poly he was the biggest burrito in the kid burrito lineup at the hospital when they wrap him with the blankets i call it the kid burrito um When he was a baby, we brought him home, and we were just in love with him, and I knew my wife was immediately in love with this kid. And and we had planned uh, to have her stay home with our children. When we began to have children, she was going to be at home with them. We felt that was a very important part of their nurturing and their growing up. And shortly into uh, him being at home with us, uh, we had some financial issues, and She, my wife, had to go back to waiting tables, and she was distraught, and she was upset about that. And there was a part of me that was like, well, you know, I I want want to provide more for my family. I want to be the guy who brings enough home in terms of finances so she can be at home with this child. And, And I felt a little defensive, not at her, but just like I'm okay. But this is the thing. She was distraught because I had promised her as a man who was going to protect and provide for her, I had promised her that I would take care of this situation. And it caused some conflict in our, our home for a brief amount of time, and the conflict was rooted in me not asking the question, Aaron, what is the sin beneath the sin? You know what the sin beneath the sin, what was at the root of my response to the situation, her being distraught, me saying, well, I don't know what to do about this, I'm going to kind of hang, it was pride. I was a proud man. I was too proud to say, you know what, I need to honor the commitment I made to my wife and go out and find a way to, to, to earn some more income and be the guy that I had said I was going to be to protect and provide for her. I had a sin of pride, of comfort and convenience that was in my heart instead of the trust that, that I needed to display towards God and say, God, you have called me to protect and provide for this family. I'm going to trust that you're going to lead me. Now, once I got to the sin beneath the sin, and guys, this is really important, I accepted responsibility for that. Like, I looked around and said, there's no one else to blame in this situation. My wife has a calling, a heart to be home with our children. I need to go out and make that happen in terms of provision. When I made that reality and when I made that statement and when I accepted that responsibility things began to change, not just outwardly and certainly outwardly with circumstances, but my heart began to, ch- uh, to change. I realized the importance of what I was doing. I realized that this conflict was, was emanating because I had a heart of pride uh, and, and a heart that wanted comfort and convenience instead of a heart like Paul who says he is going to be spilled out for the rest of his life as a sacrifice to other people. Guys, your life is one of sacrifice for the rest of your life. And there's going to be really hard times, but you know what? There's going to be some great times. There's going to be some adventures that you can't even explain or understand. There's going to be things that happen in your life that as you sacrifice, God will bless and, 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 and build you up and give you the things that you desire and want to see happen in your life. But you've got to deal with that sin. Next thing in this passage that this man says uh, to her, or excuse me, um, that she says in verse four, she says, my beloved, or in verse two, I'm sorry, my beloved is knocking. My beloved is knocking. Okay, so there's this fight. It's happened. The conflict has isolated these two from each other. She is sleeping in her bed, but her heart is awake. She wants to reconcile. She wants um, to to have a, a time where there's restoration, but there's always this uh, a juxtaposition in her heart. She still wants to fight a little bit, ladies. Do you understand that? Like we don't understand that, guys. But you know, you you go to bed upset, and you want to reconcile, but you still kind of want to fight. It's a kind of weird thing that happens, and guys might might experience that a little bit too. But she's in that place where she wants to reconcile. She wants to fight. She doesn't know what's going on. Her heart is awake. She wants to respond to this man, but she also is kind of ticked at him. And this is critical. This is critical. The husband comes knocking at the door. Probably one of the most powerful pieces of wisdom I have learned in my marriage is this. And guys, if you take anything out of here, this wisdom, this piece of wisdom, listen to this next thing. I need to initiate reconciliation when there's conflict in my marriage. Guess what, guys? Even when it's not my fault. Even when it's not my fault. Now, usually we all have culpability when there's conflict or a fight in our marriage. But this is where I get this very theological truth that I need to initiate reconciliation when there is conflict in my marriage. I need to take responsibility for things that aren't my fault. This is the theological underpinning truth of that statement. Jesus took responsibility for things that weren't his fault. The sins of the world, in particular. Now, that is the model that Jesus talks to us about. That is what we are working towards, that we initiate reconciliation, even when things are not our fault, because a lot of guys, like Adam, want to look around and take responsibility for nothing. So I need to initiate Reconciliation, when there's conflict, and in addition, Kristen, my wife, your wife, needs to respond to that initiation of reconciliation. If if couples in marriage would apply those two principles, the guy initiates reconciliation, the wife responds to the initiation of reconciliation, those two things would solve 98% of marital conflict. Now, there will be conflict, and you're going to have conflict in your marriage, but it would be a situation where your relationship would grow in strength and in power rather than be diminished in strength and power. I need to initiate. My wife needs to respond. Now, for her to respond, guys, here it comes back around to you, it requires me to set the foundation well for reconciliation. Um... There is nothing wrong with lawyers. So what I'm about to say, if you're a lawyer, please don't take it personally. But many times I've approached my marital conflict as a lawyer. I've got my case lined out. I've got my, you know, my, my jacket of information here. And I can tell her the ten reasons why she is wrong and I am right. And I'm a very good marital conflict lawyer. I wish I could get paid for that. Okay? I'd be a wealthy man. But I've established my case. If, if you set the foundation to reconcile by saying, this is my case, what's your case? Oh, I win? That is not grounds for setting up a, a good foundation for reconciliation. You can't come like a lawyer. You can't come like a dictator. We're going to reconcile no matter what, so let's get on with this. Can't come like that. And again, going back to what I said earlier, you can't come passive-aggressive. Oh, there's nothing wrong, honey. I'm, I'm so upset. Oh, there's nothing wrong, honey. <laughs> like, that's, you can't come like that. You can't set the foundation for reconciliation like a lawyer, a dictator, or in a passive-aggressive nature or, or, or manner. It requires a quick response to reconcile Uh, by both the husband and the wife, and and this is what I would say. It doesn't, you don't want to set the foundation for reconciliation that, uh, as I just described, you want to do it with kindness and gentleness, and you want to set the table to get to the root of the issue. And this man does this in verse 6. Let me read verse 6 to you. Uh, I'm going to skip a little bit further on. I open to my beloved Uh, But my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed when he spoke. I sought him but found him not. I called him but he gave no answer. Okay. Uh, Earlier on in this passage when he says in uh, verse 2. Open to me my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. This is how this man sets the table for reconciliation. Okay. With kindness and gentleness. Wanting to get to the root of the issue. First Let her know that she is loved. That she is loved. And that won't change. When you come to reconcile to her, don't come like a lawyer, a dictator, a passive aggressive. Come with a heart to know that, or let her know that she is loved and that will never change. Secondly, let her know that this conflict has consequences. Honey, I love you. If we don't take care of this, it's going to drive us further apart. I, I, I want to be reconcile to you, but there, there's this conflict between us, and if it goes on for much longer, it will have consequences, as it talks about in verse 6. Uh, let her know that we can work it out and minimize the amount of damage to the relationship. Let her know that there is hope in the marriage. There is hope in this conflict. Now, that sounds dramatic when you're talking about, you know, hey, you left the tooth cover off the toothpaste or whatever the conflict is of the day but if you are constantly in those little conflicts letting your wife know hey there's hope of reconciliation there's hope that we're going to get through this there's hope that we can work it out and minimize the amount of damage to the relationship that is a setting of a foundation of kindness and gentleness that she can respond to your initiation of reconciliation let me read verse 3 I had put off my garment, how could I put it on? I had bathed my feet, how could I soil them? These are the words of the wife. Uh, There's a basic principle in marital conflict. There is never a comfortable and convenient time for conflict. Like, do you plan it? Or does it just happen? It just happens in my house, okay? This woman doesn't want to get out of bed. She's basically saying, hey, I've got my, my pajamas on. Um, And I've taken a shower. I'm not getting out of bed to let you in to talk about the reconciliation of this conflict. Now, this is a a thing where it's not comfortable, it's not convenient, but conflict has come. And fights will happen at the worst possible time. Usually after a long day of work. Or maybe uh, after balancing the checkbook, okay? Okay. You know, the negative balance in the checking account. Oh, now we've got conflict, and now we've got more conflict, and that's kind of how it happens. Maybe after fixing clogged plumbing or hitting finger with hammer, two specific things um, where conflict has arisen for me personally. Uh, But, you know, it's never comfortable, and it's never convenient. So as grown-ups, the thing to do is to say, this is going to happen, the reality of this is happening or going to happen in my marriage, when the time comes after the emotional energy has, has somewhat dissipated, how am I going to respond to this? L- let me emphasize, because I, I can't really emphasize it enough, how the character of this man is key in view of this conflict. Okay? I haven't heard it a lot, but I've heard it a little during this sermon series. Why are you picking on the guys? I've heard that basic question. Not a lot, but a little bit. Um, other than it's fun, okay, so that's my, my sin, um, I need people to pick on me because I have been called to be what Scripture indicates is the covenantal head of, the federal head, if you want to call that, and I might have to explain that term, the federal head of my family. I've been called to be the guy where God looks at my family and says, who is responsible in terms of protection, provision? Who is responsible to initiate reconciliation in this relationship? And it always comes back. Scripturally, theologically, biblically, it always comes back To the man in the relationship, in the marriage, being the person who, like Christ, takes responsibility for things that aren't his fault. One of these days when we have a men's retreat, um, we'll have some guns there, of course. um, But we'll also talk a lot about what it means to be a quote-unquote federal husband. A a covenantal husband head of the family who has responsibilities placed on him by God because culture places no responsibility on men at all. You can pretty much do whatever you know what you want as a man in this culture and have no responsibility and that has trained us up to believe that we have nothing to sacrifice, no need to give, no need to serve or very little understanding of that because we think that, that the cultural way is the best way. And what it ends up being is death and destruction to relationships because we don't understand as men what God has called us to. I can't emphasize enough how the character of the man in this passage, Solomon, is key in view of conflict and how it is resolved. Just, to, just as a reminder... He pursues, even though he's possibly been hurt in this conflict. It might not be his fault, but he's pursuing. He has the long view of the relationship in mind. Okay, that—that's more of a of a of a grown-up thing to have the long view in mind. It's more of a, a man who wants to mature. It, it's more of the guy who, like Paul says, "I'm going to finish the race." It's not about the ten yards that I'm running right now. It's about the marathon. That I've been called to. It's about serving and sacrificing for a lifetime. He's committed to the long view of the relationship and has that in mind. He is committed to this woman till death do us part. You said it. I hope you said it at your marriage. If not, um, maybe at the end we can line everybody up and redo some vows. Okay? Uh, but till death do you part, gentlemen. Till death do you part, ladies. In particular, gentlemen, you've committed to the woman till death do you part in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, as long as we both shall live, till death do us part. The consequences um, of unresolved conflict, I'm going to move to verse 4 through 9, can be deadly. Let me read these uh, verses. My beloved put his hand to the latch, And my heart was thrilled within me. I arose to open to my beloved and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. They beat me. They bruised me. They took away my veil. Those watchmen of the walls, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him I am sick with love. What is your beloved more than another beloved, O most beautiful among women? What is your beloved more than another beloved that you thus adjure us? The consequences of unresolved conflict can be deadly. They almost um, have this time, this couple, where they're going to work out what is wrong between them, but too much time passes, and he decides to walk away. She comes to the door too late to have the conversation and for the initiation and response of reconciliation to happen. And this delay causes him to leave and for her to experience devastating consequences. This is poetic. This is, um, you know, a description maybe of a dream of this woman that after he leaves and there is no reconciliation of the relationship, she experiences being beat up, being bruised. She is isolated and alone. This is the reality. And this is what happens in the world. If you are newly married or have been married a long time, fights you know will start to occur. They're unresolved. And soon this couple hates each other and doesn't even know why. I know because I talk to those folks. I know because I can sense the darkness of isolation and conflict going unresolved And it begins to creep into a marriage. It begins to creep into a relationship. And pretty soon, you don't even know why, but you hate this other person. Pretty soon, you don't even know why, but you want to have nothing to do with that person. Consequences are deadly for this couple, for their children, and for generations to come. This might sound overdramatic, but um, I think it's biblical. One little fight. One little unresolved conflict. One little, will sweep it under the rug and forget about this little thing. And you will find yourself, after 5, 10, 15 years of doing that, you will find yourself not just not just having the experience of possibly a divorce or another separation of a relationship, but you'll find yourself uh, having deadly consequences for your children and for generations to come. It, it's not isolated. It's not something that, that only happens you know, once in a million. This happens all the time. This happens all the time. That's why Paul says, hey, before the sun goes down, deal with your anger. Deal with your fight that you've had. Deal with what is keeping you from relationship. And this is the reason why. There is always hope. There's certainly always hope in Jesus. But I love how at the end of this, after this woman is beaten and bruised, where does she go? She goes to her community. I would say it's analogous to... She goes to her her church friends. The people who know her and are followers of Jesus Christ. And she talks to them. And they tell her some truth. They do it in love. And it's for the sake of accountability. If you're a part of a local body of believers called a church, a local church... You have the responsibility to love and encourage. You have the responsibility to speak the truth. You have the responsibility as a follower of Jesus Christ to have a sense of accountability, of pointing people not to your rule system, but to Jesus and saying, Jesus wants you to flourish. This is causing you not to flourish. My prayer for our church is that we would be a church that cares enough about each other that your marriage is known by someone else in this church. That there's a group of people, of friends in your city group, that know you well enough to know, hey, your marriage isn't isn't maybe where it needs to be. Not because I have a level, but because Scripture has talked about if you're going to flourish a marriage, this is what it looks like. You have... Enough compassion and love for the person that, or for the couple that you can speak to them. Hey, let's go to dinner. Let's let's talk. What's going on? Why are you at odds with each other? Why does there seem to be a lack of the passion and and the lack of closeness and the lack of of, of marital bond that once was here that we saw in your marriage? Can we help? The community is here to help. In truth by speaking it, in love, by showing it, and in accountability, by providing it. Next week, we're going to look at how the long view helps us overcome our conflicts and differences. And, And Jesus died with the long view in mind. He died because he knows through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can overcome sin now, but we have the hope of future perfection or glorification in Jesus Christ. We are called to what the Bible calls holiness. The word literally means wholeness. As citizens of the kingdom, what does it look like to be a whole person following Jesus Christ, changed by Jesus Christ, pursuing Jesus Christ? And how we fight and resolve conflict is a testimony to the greatness and glory of God. Uh, the biggest mission of this church is to see people coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, to go and make disciples for the glory of God And one of the most potent ways in a culture that values marriage less and less is to show people what a marriage that's not perfect, but is God-saturated, gospel-saturated, Jesus-saturated, what does that look like? When we come to communion here in a couple minutes and we take the, the bread, which represents the body of Christ, which was broken for you, and we dip it in the wine or the juice, representing the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sins, there might be conflict in your marriage right now. Are you going to let what Song of Solomon calls the fox into the vineyard to eat the fruits of what God has given you and your spouse? The fruit of a relationship, the fruit of being together on mission, the fruit of having a, a, a relationship that is uh, two hearts changed by Jesus pursuing God together. If so, confess your sin. Come to the table and celebrate the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we um, look at this man and this woman and their marriage and very early on in their marriage the experience of conflict, the experience of being at odds with each other and not only seeing that as a reality but knowing that through what we have in being saved by Jesus, we have a heart that has been changed. We have a heart that no longer um, needs to chase the pride of self-satisfaction or self-aggrandizement where we put ourselves higher than we ought. But we can come humbly to this table, take the bread, dip it in the juice and know that we have uh, perfection in Christ. We have His Holy Spirit. We have the ability for sin's to be forgiven and to be overcome through the victory that that happened on the cross. I know none of our marriages will ever be perfect this side uh, of heaven. And when we go to be with you, there won't even be marriage. We'll be perfected and we'll have uh, uh, an eternal worship service of Jesus Christ. But there are many people in this world looking at Christians, people who claim to follow Christ, and they're looking at their relationship to see what is different. What, what makes these people different than anybody else? It's not sinlessness, but it is repentance and belief. It is the cross of Jesus Christ. May we chase hard after you, not to earn more of your love, but because you've already loved us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.